Good morning, everybody, again. Good morning, good morning. Hang on, I'm with you in just a second here. Give me a moment, give me a moment. All right. How are you feeling this morning, church? You feel better? You feel better? Better? Good, maybe? Good? Not so much, maybe? Yeah, that's nice. All right. Here we are. God is faithful. God is good. God is faithful. I'm trying to remember what I was thinking about this week. Do you ever go back in time musically? You know what I'm talking about? Go back to those moments of your life where you go, whoa. That was powerful. You know what I'm talking about? I did that this week. And I listened to an album I haven't listened to in a long time. And some of you will know who I'm talking about. And others of you have no idea. Perry, you'll know. Um, Keith Green. Man, I was listening to an album I used to listen to that he produced in the early 80s. I listened to it when I was in high school. There was such an anointing upon what God did in him. And I was listening to a song. And I'm going to pull it up so I don't misquote it. Because it is a powerful song. And it was the opening of the album that, that I would listen to all the time. And it was just a prayer. And I could imagine when he wrote this, he wrote it in his prayer closet. And then he was doing it before a stadium of people. But this is what the words of the song say, and it's my prayer for this morning for us as a church. Rushing wind, blow through this temple. Blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me. I've been born again. Holy Spirit, I surrender. Take me where you want to go. Plant me by your living waters. Plant me deep so I can grow. Jesus, you're the one who sets my spirit free. Use me, Lord. Glorify your holy name through me. Separate me from this world, Lord. Sanctify my life for you. Daily change me to your image. Help me bear good fruit. Every day you're drawing closer. Trials come to test my faith. But When all is said and done, Lord, you know, it's been worth the wait. If you've never listened to that song, I encourage you to go home and listen to it today. It is a beautiful, beautiful song that encourages a heart of prayer. It's called Rushing Wind by Keith Green. And I just, as I was thinking about worship this morning and I was sitting here, I'm going, well, we're not going to sing it, but I'm going to read it. Because I want that to be the prayer of your heart and the prayer of my heart. And I want to invite God to do that in our midst today. Because we need his presence in our lives. We need him to do the thing that only he can do. To change us daily and to renew our hearts and mind. So that he can grow within us. So that even after all the struggles and the difficulties we deal with in this world. We can look back and say, you know, problems aside, struggles aside. Knowing you has made all of it worthwhile. Because in the midst of the difficulty is when we really see God do what he wants to do. So 
Join me as we just pray this morning. And I want to pray that blessing over us as we open up the word. And I spend just a few minutes this morning talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for knowing us. Thank you for walking in relationship with us. God, I pray the words that I read this morning would just touch deep in our hearts. God, I pray that they would ring true. And as those words were, were penned decades ago, that we would just make that same declaration today. Rushing wind, Holy Spirit, blow through this temple, not this building, blow through our hearts, blow through our lives. Change us, Lord, not for the sake of change, but change us to renew us to become more and more like you. God, I pray that the enemy would have no place over the minds and the thoughts of those that are here today and those that are listening or watching. I pray that this place would be consecrated and set apart, and may he be served notice that we stand in a place where Jesus Christ reigns supreme. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Welcome to Bridge. If you're one of our guests, I want to say I'm glad that you're with us today. My name is Pastor Paul. Um, it's nice to be with you today and to be back uh, for a second week. Um, I do, again, want to give another thank you if you weren't here last week or maybe you're not on our prayer chain. And that's just a not, another thing, by the way. If you're not part of our prayer chain at Bridge, um, you're not aware of some of the things that's happening when people need prayer, just send a message to us, please. Send a message to one of our office people or info at bridgecomchurch.org and say, how do I join the prayer uh, the prayer chain, and, and things will go out, and you'll see people that have legitimate needs across the church. Many of you that have been reaching out to us have heard about this through friends, but also through the prayer chain. Um, my wife, Leslie, uh, was here last week. She's been having um, an issue with a herniated disc for eight years, actually. This past year was eight years, and it inflamed very badly over the last couple of months, and we finally were able to go in after spending a couple of weeks ago, spending a few days um, back and forth into the ER, uh, going in for some injections. And then we went in last Monday to her doctor and the doctor laid it all out and he showed us everything and we explained it all. And he said, so you want to fix this? And we said, yes. And he says, well, he can get you in on Wednesday. So she went in on Wednesday and she had back surgery. Um, thankfully, God was faithful, uh, not because it went without problems, because it actually did. There was a problem. They actually had to go back and have a second surgery four hours after the first surgery. Um, and she's been recovering and experiencing some complications from that. But she's on the right path. And I want to tell you, there's different ways we can look at different things. But I can tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that for, number one, uh, that the doctor who performed the surgery is a born-again Christian. I'm thankful that he stood in that room before the pre-op. And he put his hands on my wife and he prayed in Jesus' name that there would be healing. I'm thankful for that. Isn't that amazing? I'm thankful that she prayed for him after he prayed for her because there aren't too many people that would probably do that. They'd say, thank you for the prayer. But you know what? He needs the prayers of the Lord upon him as well. Amen? He needs God's wisdom as he navigates all of that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful after we got out within about an hour or so after her getting out or me seeing her, they were going to send us home and that we saw the complication quick enough for him to come back to the hospital, get the OR back together and get her back in so that the problem could be remedied. I'm thankful we didn't go home with that. And I'm thankful that she's on the road to recovery this morning. You know what else we're thankful for, church? I'm thankful for so many people that have been blowing up our phones and emails and just telling us that they love us and they care for us and they're supporting us and they've just been 
I mean, I'm going to weigh 100 pounds more by the time this is over. I'm convinced of that. And I did send someone a message the other day that dropped off some food. And I said, hey, there's nothing better than a hot dog at 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, but, but, and, and I wouldn't recommend that. But I'm just saying in that moment, it actually felt pretty good. All I'm saying is um, we have felt the love of the people of our church. We have felt the support. We know the care is there. We can't say thank you enough. So thank you so much for being a part of that. We know that we are just one piece of it. But wow, this church is great at making people feel seen and cared for. So thank you so much for being a part of that. It is, um, it is my hope and my desire that we'll both be back here soon to be able to worship together and see. Um, so please just continue for ongoing progress. We're seeing healing each and every day. There's been baby steps. Um, but to be able to sleep all night and to be able to not have pain aside from where the incision and the wound was, that's a miracle in itself, and we are so thankful for that. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Um, there's other things we could talk about through this journey that we won't talk about right now because right now I feel like the blender has just been shut off for a little bit, and now it all needs to kind of raise to the surface, if you know what I mean. Um, but, but I'm here. I have some things on my mind I want to work on and I want to talk on. Um, while my wife was in surgery, I put this message together. Um, and then I reviewed it and I threw it out and then I redid it and then I reviewed it and then I threw it out and yesterday I worked on it again. So I think I have something that I want to tell you this morning. Um, I hope that it's something that God has to encourage you with and bless you. Um, and I'm just going to get right to it at this point. So, um, if you're with us, uh, first week or whatever week, you know that we are in the series called the empowered series. If you're not with us uh, before today, we are in a four week series called empowered. It's a series on the Holy spirit. We're talking about moving, uh, or experiencing the Holy Spirit, who he is. Uh, where does this come from? The word empowered, we get it from Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, where Jesus tells his disciples, this is after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, before he returns back to heaven, before the ascension. He meets with them over the course of 40 days. He appears to over 500 people, the scripture says, showing that he was real, that he actually did resurrect from the dead. But before he left this earth, he goes to his disciples and he tells them something. He tells them what their future is going to look like. He tells them what kind of work they're going to do, what their mission and their purpose is going to look like. And before they can come back and doubt, he says this in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gives them a mission and he tells them, I am going to work through you and you are going to change the world by bringing the message of the gospel, the truth of me, the gospel, the kingdom of Jesus Christ to earth is going to happen through your ends, through your mouth, through your hands, through your feet. You guys are going to be the ones to change the world, but it won't be you doing it. It'll be the power of the spirit of God working through you. You will receive power. Last week I talked about power. The word means dunamis, dunamis, and it actually is affiliated with the word that we get dynamite from. It's ability to control and influence in supernatural ways. He's telling nobodies that they're going to be changed and they're going to be transformed because through Jesus, we have victory over sin and life and have new life. That's the cross. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power, or through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live that life. Jesus gives us victory over sin through the death on the cross and the resurrection from the tomb. But the work of the Holy Spirit in us gives us the power to live this life. If we really, and just ask yourself this question, If you or I really believe that the one that we worship and the one that we served raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven and he is the son of God, how is that affecting the way that we live? Just a question to think about. How does it affect the way that we live? 
Not to quote another Keith Green song, but I love it. It's on the album as well. It's called Asleep in the Light. And he said, because Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. And I love that. He, was, he would have been an interesting dude to know at this time of, in his life. But it is something that, quest, that I question and I ask myself as well. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's why we're talking about the Holy Spirit in this series. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's just words on a page sometimes. We need that engine to start the car. We need the gas in our tank. We need all of those things to work together and the power that comes through the Spirit to be who God has called us to be in this world, to be the witness that he's called us to be. And a witness, again, last week you heard me say when I talked about the baptism, witness doesn't just mean doing supernatural things for other people. It means in the midst of any thing. We stand on a firm foundation and say, I know who God is. I know who Jesus is. I will not be shaken. Witness looks like many different things. Am I right? You don't just have to be someone who's doing supernatural things. Sometimes it's just supernatural enough to be a rock in the midst of the storm. When people around say, how can you possibly do this? And you can say, let me tell you about the hope that I have in a savior named Jesus. So it depends on your circumstance, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jeff talked about the third person of the, of the Holy Spirit on week one, that he is God. He is, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is a person that we not, should not refer to him as an entity or a thing or a ghost. He's not an atmosphere. He's a person. His name is Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was good that he would leave. Jesus would leave because then Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit then wouldn't just walk among us like Jesus did with the people. He would live within us. And the presence of God would dwell in the hearts of all who believe. Then you just don't have him for a moment in time. He's with you everywhere you go. Amen? Think about how powerful that is for us to understand that he's with us everywhere we go, which means you're never alone, which means when you need counsel, when you need help, when you need peace, when you need comfort, when you need discernment, the Holy Spirit is there and he can give you what you need during that time. Why? Because he lives in you and he is God and you belong to him. Amen? That's so important for us to understand. Last week, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how, yes, we are baptized unto salvation, It's like drinking the Holy Spirit and we're baptized of the Holy Spirit. But then we need to be empowered through his spirit. So it's not just what we take in, but it's what we get submersed in. And the spirit then, we may have all the spirit, but the spirit doesn't necessarily have all of us. And it's through the process of releasing things into our lives, rethinking the way that we we do things, repenting of some of our doubts or how we might look. There's There's a process in doing that over our lifetime where we basically give more of ourselves to God so that he can use us the way that he chooses to use us. This morning, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the first question we're going to ask this morning is, what is the fruit of the Spirit? And here's my answer for you. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the expected evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming your life. It's my best shot at saying how I look at it. What is the fruit of the Spirit according to God's Word? The expected evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming your life. Now, I'm going to break that out just for a few minutes today and explain what I mean because those words are very intentional. Expected evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming your life. Remember, in spiritual baptism, last week we talked about spirit baptism, the fulfilled promise of God's presence 
and power is now in us. When we are spirit-baptized, the promise of God's presence and his power live in us. But with spiritual fruit, the evidence of his power and presence transform us. There's a difference. In the spirit baptism, it's about how we receive what he has for us and the empowerment he gives us. But the fruit is the evidence of what he is doing in us. We are talking about fruit. It's not measured by what we do. The purpose of all of this is not measured by what we do. It's to make us more like Jesus. Now, I have to say this before we do anything else because you might be confusing fruit with spiritual gifts. And Andy's going to talk about that next week when we talk about spiritual gifts. It's very intentional now why we're positioning fruit after baptism because let's be very mindful about this very important thing. If we were going to boil down God's main purpose in reaching out to us, in saving us, Yes, it's to save us from sin. It's to save us from death and to bring us into relationship with him. But his very next purpose is for you and I to become more like Jesus. That is the purpose of this life on earth when we trust in Christ. He saves us through the faith in Christ of what, we, what Jesus did on the cross. He redeems us and he restores us. But after that, his main purpose after he has forgiven us and he's removed the sin from us is to transform us into the image of his son. That doesn't mean that we become God. It doesn't mean he's making us into a bunch of gods. It means he wants to take the character and the Christ-like virtues that Jesus has as the son of God and he wants them to begin infiltrating us so that we don't look like us. We look like him. Does that make sense? I can't express how important this is for us to understand because everything surrounds this, that ultimately God is most interested in making you more like his son. Romans 8.29, look what Paul says to the Christian Romans. He says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to what? Become like his what? Son. Say son with me. Son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The scripture specifically says this is what he chose to do. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says the same thing. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with increasing, ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's another example of showing us that God's purpose is to make us more like Jesus. His purpose in saving us is not to give us everything we want. His purpose in saving us is not to make us rich and famous. His purpose in saving us is not to give us a platform so that we could just do things of substance that the world would recognize and shower all kinds of accolades on. No. His main purpose in saving us is to bring him close to himself and to transform us to look more like Jesus. That's the transformation process. That's what he's looking to do in you and he's looking to do in me. So there's three things today I want to briefly talk about regarding spiritual fruit, okay? And I'm going to list them. There's three things right here. I'm going to talk about evidence, expectation, and effort, okay? So this is what I mean. The, remember I said it's the, it's the what? It's the expected evidence 
of the Holy Spirit working in us. So we're going to talk about the evidence of the fruit. Then we're going to talk about God's expectation for fruit, specifically in the hearts of all of those who believe, and then our effort for the fruit. What are we supposed to do as a result of that? Briefly, three things. Number one, the evidence. The evidence of the fruit. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read this for you right here. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He's talking to the Christians, and he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now, just stop. What are we talking about? What does circumcision have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Paul is talking to Christians who are being misled by this group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are making a decision. And what they're telling them was, if you want to really be saved and you really want to follow this Jesus and become part of the way, yes, put your faith in him and what he did, but you also must be circumcised and follow the law that the Jewish people had in place. So it's not just your faith that's going to save you, it's going to be the law. The evidences, if you will, that are going to save you so people know you really are saved is what you believe in, but also the law that you follow. And one of the biggest pieces in that, that's circumcision. You need to do that like all the Jewish people do. Verse 4, Paul says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. He's trying to say the law isn't going to save you. You have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, the works of following the law are not the evidences that your faith and your salvation is authentic. Do you follow me on what he's saying here? It's not about what you can do and be a good rule follower that makes you a good saved person. It's not about your works at all. Paul's addressing those lies and he's dealing with it. He's saying the evidence of your faith is not a result of following those rules. The evidence of your faith is a result of becoming more like Jesus. We need to look at a different result. So what does the evidence of the fruit look like? If it's not about being circumcised or following the laws, what is the spiritual fruit that we are talking about? In Galatians 5, and 23, Paul shows us. This is what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is, say I'm with me, church, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, against such things, there is no what? Law. Why? Because if you're loving, if you're joyful, if you're peaceful, if, you're, if you practice forbearance and are kind and good and faithful and gentle, you don't need a law. Laws are in place to deal with the people that violate godly behavior. That's what the purpose of the law is for. Thou shalt not kill. Well, if you're gentle and kind and you're loving, why are you going to kill somebody? Right? Honoring your father and mother, that's a law. Why? Well, if, you're if you have self-control, if you practice joy, forbearance, it's patience, by the way, you're going to honor your mom and dad in some of those things, right? The idea is he's saying there is there's no such law against the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Spirit of God working in you and working in me. 
That's how it works. When the Spirit deposits in us and lives in us, he begins to work in our lives. And the manifestation and the result of that work are these things. So what are the evidences? Remember I said the evidences are the things we need to remember. It is not what he gives us to do for him. It's not about the gifts. It's about the fruit that comes from these things. These are Christ-like virtues that are produced in us as we grow closer to God. So if I can say it one way, I'll say this. The authenticity of our faith, of your faith, the genuineness of your faith is not judged by the rules you and I follow, but by the fruit we bear. How do you really know you're a follower of Christ? Well, I go to church and I do this and I sing on the team and I serve in this area and I read my Bible five times a week and I, and I give to the church and I do all those things. None of those things say that you're a follower of Christ. They don't. Because you can do all the right things and still not have the Spirit of God transforming your heart. There's a part, there's a story, in the, or Jesus says in the gospel, where he actually says, in that day there will be people that come to me and say, Lord, didn't we heal the sick and cast out demons, and didn't we do all these things in your name? And you know what Jesus is going to say to them? Depart from me. I never, what? Knew you. Because it's not about doing things. I really believe in my heart. I don't know who they will be, but there will be people on the other side of eternity that we think are so tight with God on this side of eternity, and he will say, you did all of the right things but you never let my spirit transform you. So though it looked good on the outside, I never knew you, and you never knew me. Depart from me. That's a scary thing, and I would never want the Lord to be able to say that for me. That's why the spiritual fruit is so important, because the spiritual fruit is not about what we do for God on the outside. It's about what God does for us on the inside. And your evidence, your evidence is not about everything you've accomplished. It's about what Jesus is accomplishing in us. I can tell you this is exactly the opposite of what this world incentivizes. Am I right? The world does not reward this in the world that we live in. The world rewards behavior, capability, skill, right? They don't look at character the way that we should look at character. That's why you can see people rise up in this world with incredible skill, incredible ability, incredible character, and you can be in awe at how amazingly skilled, talented, or equipped that person is, but their character is junk. And at some point, they fall. At some point, everything falls apart. You cannot ever, and now that's outside the church. You see this all the time, whether it's in the entertainment industry or in professional sports. People are gifted beyond belief. And some of them, when their character and their skill goes together, it is a beautiful thing, right? And there are probably some musicians and there are probably some sports people that you can say, man, they had it both together and that was right. And then you have people that are so good at what they do They're so good at what they do. They've accomplished everything that they could possibly do. But when you look at them, you think, my goodness, they are not a role model. In fact, they're the opposite of a role model. And they crash and burn. It's one thing outside the church to see the discrepancy. You know when it really gets hard? Within the church. And the danger that we see because we're outside versus inside is that people sometimes within the church will look at how the world recognizes success and say, well, that's the way we have to do it within the church. So I can be you know, a really good leader in the church. I could be a great musician. I could teach from the pulpit and I can really bring the word of God, but I hate my brother or sister. 
or I struggle with patience, or I have an issue with my spouse, and we refuse to deal with the problem, we just pretend that it doesn't exist. I can do all these good things on the outside, and people think I'm one way, but behind closed doors, I'm a mess. And not a mess because you're letting God change you. You're a mess because you're only focusing on the outward, and you're not letting the Holy Spirit reveal the fruit on the inside. Does that make sense? So important for us to understand the authenticity of our faith is not judged by the rules, but it's by the fruit that we bear. Another way of saying that is the authenticity of our faith is not judged by what we do for Jesus, but by how much we look like him. That's what it comes down to, how much we look like him. Do you look like Jesus? The way that we look like Jesus is completely connected to the way the fruit of the Spirit works in us. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, or forbearance, is gentleness, patience, self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, it's the evidence of the fruit. Do we have that evidence in our lives? Number two, the expectation. God's expectation for fruit. That's the second point. God's expectation for fruit. Do you know that God expects you and I to exercise and be fruit, to, to demonstrate fruit in this world? Look what he says in John 15, 1 through 2. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Look at it with me one more time. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. What does God do with those branches that bear no fruit? He does what? Cuts them off. And the ones that do bear fruit, I love this part. I'd just like to skip this verse. He prunes those that do so they will be even what? More fruitful. Either way you're looking at it, there's pain involved. But I don't want to be on the front end of that pain. I'd rather be on the tail end of that. The front end of that says you don't bear fruit. The Father assumes you're going to bear fruit because when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you should look different. And as you start to look different, he continues to prune you so that you can look even more different and look more and more like him. John 15, 16, he says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so what? So that you might go and what? Bear fruit. And then he says, fruit that will what? Last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. I remember a while ago, and I won't say what business it was, but I remember there was this place that I used to go to, and it was a restaurant, and I, and I used to love going there, and it was fun and had a good time, and the food was good, and over time, it just kind of got old. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it just got old, and I wasn't excited about going there anymore for a while, and then it just kind of disappeared one day. And I thought, okay, it just kind of disappeared. But when it came back, and it did come back, there was a sign on the front of it. And it said, under new management. Under new management. And, and I thought about that sign this week, and I thought, this is why this is so significant. Why would they advertise under new management? Because they're trying to tell you something. We're back. The building's still there. There's still food here. But the foundation that makes this place move and work is changed. The leadership has changed. It is no longer the old way. It is the new way. And because the leadership has changed, you can expect a different result, right? That's, what, that's why they, 
they, they say this under new management because they're trying to change your mindset to go, I had a really bad experience there. Oh, someone else is leading it. Then maybe I will go back and I will give it a chance. Let me explain to you why I think that's so important. And maybe you already know this. Jesus Christ comes and lives in us. We're dying to ourselves. We're putting to death the flesh and we're saying we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. What we are saying to the world with a new sign on our heart is under new management. That's what you and I are saying, under new management. And if we walked around with a sign or a t-shirt that said under new management, it's going to get people's attention. Why are you wearing a shirt that says under new management? Because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And you know what that means? It means there should be an expectation that people have when they look at you and I that says you are going to be different. You are going to be different. You're not going to be the way that you were. You're going to be different. Today, when I hear people around the world, and especially in our country, take shots at the Christian church. The church does this wrong. The church does that wrong. The church does the church, the church, the church. What they're really looking at are imperfect people that are not being conformed and transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. But for some reason, that becomes a blanket statement to say, that's why the church is no longer valid. That's why Christianity is fake. That's why we should just throw it all out and find our new path. That we can deconstruct what we said we believe instead of rebuilding it and recognize none of the stuff that's offended you was ever Jesus in the beginning or the first place. It was all imperfect people that weren't being surrendered to the work of the Lord. And even when we try to do it right, guess what? We make mistakes. It's not about making a mistake. It's about what we do when we know we make a mistake. But the expectation in God's eyes is that when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we will bear fruit. And not just fruit, but fruit that lasts. There's an expectation of that fruit. Am I right? That's so important for us to understand. And it's supposed to be good fruit, by the way. So, so here's some fruit. Here's an orange, actually. I like oranges. Anybody else like clementines or oranges? Anybody? That looks good, right? You like that? That's good. Um, there's an apple here. I like apples. So apples are good. Um, if you like, I mean, I know this is a fruit, but it's a pear. Just doesn't do anything for me. Um, just look at it and go, why would I eat that? Um, and then bananas. I love bananas. I share a banana every morning with my dog. Um, he gets the last piece and he knows it. So fruit is supposed to, there's an expectation of fruit, right? And we're supposed to recognize that fruit matters. We're supposed to actually expect that there's going to be fruit that come from a life fully surrendered to Christ. But sometimes this fruit looks like this, right? Like I just said, sometimes it looks like this, you know, bananas or whatever. Some, sometimes the fruit kind of looks like this. Look at faces. Some of you are like nastiness. Look at that. Which one of you would eat, if you're, let's just take all students out of this question, by the way. Which one of you would ever choose this banana over this one? Unless you were making banana bread. Which one? See, I know how it works. I'm not that dumb. No one's going to pick this one over this one, right? God didn't just call us to be fruit bearing. He said that we were going to have fruit that what? Lasts. That doesn't decay. That doesn't rot. That doesn't temporarily look good and then goes away. No fruit that is appealing. Fruit that is attractive. Fruit that is supposed to catch the eye of others around us so that when they see that fruit, they don't really just see us. They see who? Jesus, right? That's the whole point of fruit. That's how that works. Number three, let's talk about the effort. 
Now that we understand that there is an expectation and that there is an evidence, let's talk about this effort. If you want the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life, what effort should we have in this process? John 15, 3 through 4, Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What is our effort supposed to look like if we want the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, church? One word. Remain. Remain. Where are we remaining? We're remaining in Christ. We're remaining in Jesus. Verse 5, look who he says. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much, what? Fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. And then here's the kicker. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. We can have all the gifts in the world. We can pray over people. We can have discernment. We can be in awe of the things that God uses us for. But if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in our lives that God expects, we don't have any power, and it doesn't show ourselves to be his disciples. True discipleship is not in what we do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus does in us. And it's so important for us to remember that remaining in him is the key to bear fruit. So I am a visual person, and I try to demonstrate it the best that I can. I'm hoping that this gives you some idea of what I'm trying to explain. We are vessels, so let's just say that this vessel is us, okay? Last week there was a much larger vessel on the stage. But this is the vessel today. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit, he fills us, right? So he fills us, and he fills us with all kinds of good things, okay? So let's just say he fills us with his spirit, and as we start doing these, he fills with all kind of cool stuff. Now, now he's living in us, okay? And now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, okay? He takes something that was spiritually dead, dry, empty, okay? And he takes it, and he makes it beautiful. So he takes a dark, gross life that's dead, and he gives us life, okay? So this, is, this represents your life. Uh, what color is this? White. Why is it white? Because it symbolizes we are pure before God. Am I right? You understand? We are pure before God. The sin, the sin of the world is taken on the back of Jesus Christ. He paid for it on the cross. Our sin was removed for us. We are now justified before God. And then God says, okay, because of that, I'm going to put you, I'm going to live in you, and now I want you to remain in me. Okay? I want you to remain in me. And now we wait. And now we wait. It's not doing anything. Why isn't it doing anything? It's not doing anything because it hasn't understood the definition of remain yet. Our lives don't remain in Christ for a moment. We're supposed to stay connected with him over our lifetime. And here's what we begin to find. As we remain in him, okay, as we remain in him, we begin to change. Now this 
was actually sitting in this overnight. And what you can see, if you're really, really careful, you can see little hints of the color beginning to show up all through the white. It might be hard from the distance, but you can see all little blue hints of all of this. Why? Because it remained in the vase overnight for about 15 hours. And if you leave it like that, not just for a day or two days, but if you leave it in there for a week, what you find happens is this. And now all of a sudden, the one who remained in for a moment but chose to stay for weeks and months and years now begins to take on the beauty of what we see in the actual vase itself. The spirit in us begins to transfer his fruit into ours, and it becomes evident to everyone around. Are you with me? This is how it works. Okay, now, here's the problem, though. And and this is why I think this fruit is kind of an interesting illustration, because we know that bananas come from what? Banana trees, right? And we know that oranges come from orange trees. And we know pears come from the devil. No, I'm just kidding. No, they come from pear trees, okay? This is why this is not a very good analogy, because when we look at this, sometimes we say, oh, all of these fruits come from different trees. That's not the way God intended it. God intended it to say, no, 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 no. There is one spirit, and in that spirit, all the colors exist. So what he wants to do is he wants to say, in every one of these areas of your life, there's one spirit, and this one spirit has this fruit of the spirit. He has love. He has joy. He has patience. He has kindness. He has goodness. He has faithfulness. Against all of these things, he says, there is absolutely no law. And as we put all of these things in here, we could say, well, that looks a little difficult to understand what's going on. But what we begin to see then is, as we are not in this individual jar, we're in this larger one, He doesn't just give us life for love. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us patience. He gives us kindness. He gives us forbearance. He gives us all the different gifts that we need. But look, are they coming from different sources or are they coming from one source? They come from one source because we have one God. And it's important for you and I to know the key for all of these things to take on the character of the Holy Spirit or Jesus is to remain in this space, which means we need time to look more like Jesus. We need patience to be more like Jesus. We need to eat from the same buffet, if you will, every day to look more like Jesus. If, if you're spiritual journey looks more like this and maybe this is your Sunday morning and it's what can I get from the church or from the speaker or from the music for 45 minutes or two hours or whatever and the rest of the week there's nothing else going on you pull yourself right out of that and then stick yourself in another jar for six days of the week you'll never look like what God has created you to look like it's only when we take who he's created us plunge ourselves into the work of the Spirit, and stay close to him, that we begin to take on all of the beautiful colors and the properties that are represented through the Holy Spirit and his fruit. Does that make sense? So that's what it looks like. 
Next week, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, I can't stress any more than I can stress this morning that the gifts of the Spirit, as beautiful as they are, and as intended as they are to encourage and to raise up the church and to demonstrate the power and the love of God, mean absolutely nothing if they are not executed in the power of the fruit. Because we need to demonstrate the love of God, the patience of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, and we do all of those things through the gifts, not the other way around. This morning, I ask you, we're going to get ready to close. Is the Holy Spirit working in you this morning? What evidences of the fruit are there in your lives? Or if I could even be more specific, maybe you have evidences of the fruit in your life. Can I just say this to you first? If you're like me, you could be like your worst critic. That there could be things in your life that you can just say, I don't demonstrate this evidence of fruit, and I really struggle with this one, and I really have a hard time with this one. Let me just first say this to those of you that know Jesus and that recognize the areas that you fall short. Don't consider what you look like today. Consider what you looked like when you first met Jesus. Ask yourself today if you look different than you did when you first met Jesus. Here's what I can tell you. If the evidence of the fruit is in your life, you will look different today than you did when you first knew Jesus. Now, you might look at yourself and go, but I'm not there yet. Can I tell you? None of us are. You'll never get there on this side of eternity. This can never be more colorful. I mean, it can always be more colorful on this side of eternity. The evidence of the fruit can always be stronger and greater on this side of eternity. That's not the point. The point is, are you growing? Are you walking? Are you repenting? Are you remaining with Christ? Because the longer you stay connected with him in this space, the more you will represent and look like his son. So ask yourself if you've been changing over time. Don't ask yourself if you've changed just in a moment. We understand this in the physical realm. If you have children or someone who's close to you who's young and you live with them every day, a month goes by. Two months goes by, and sometimes you don't see the change. And then someone drops in by your house to visit that hasn't seen you in a few months or since the holidays, and they say, wow, your son has really grown. Your daughter has really grown. And what do you think in the midst? I didn't really notice that. It's been a couple of months, but I didn't notice it because you're part of it every single day. But on the outside, something is happening. So walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and allow him to change you as you remain in him. To others... I want to ask you this morning, if you have a relationship with Jesus, do you even know him? Do you know him on a personal basis? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, you can start by giving your life to him. You can start by trusting in him as Lord and Savior, letting the Holy Spirit get into you, live in you, and begin to change you. It is a journey that he does not want you to bear on your own. It is not a journey that he wants you to walk with opposition or condemnation with. He wants you to walk with expectation because the one who began the work in you is faithful to complete it. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, you can take a moment and you can declare that he's good and you can ask him to come live in your heart. Church, I just want you to take a moment. The team's going to sing this song this morning and, and I want to encourage you, you can sing it with them if you like, but singing it doesn't make you closer to Jesus if there's something in your heart that he wants to do in the moment focus on that if you need to make this a prayer or if you need to make this a commitment or a resolve in your heart to draw closer to him take that step instead of singing 
Maybe come to the altar and kneel before him. Make a decision this morning to say, as the song says, take everything. Take everything, Lord. For me to be more like you, take everything. And Father, we just come before you today. I thank you for each person that's here. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would know them and you would love them. I ask, God, this morning that you would bring hope, healing, and restoration to each person, that they would see where they are, they would recognize the spiritual fruit that you want to work in them and produce in them, and that they would submit their lives to you, to grow closer to you as they walk this journey out. God, may this song be a prayer of our hearts. If all of you means less of me, take everything. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name.